And now when it comes to the grace in an individual Christian's life, um, uh, think about repentance and the gift of faith. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance, that's even a grace. It's still something that you need to do, that you need to change your mind, but it's the grace of God. Uh, St. Paul in Romans says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The life of St. Peter, the life of Zacchaeus, it was the kindness of Christ that led them to repentance. So even repentance, that's grace. The very gift of faith, that is something that we have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Are you going to put your faith, which means trust, that you're going to put your entire life. When you say amen, you fully believe it. You will put your life on it, that you will have your entire life changed and transformed by the will, to the will of God. So even faith, but it's so something that we do, but it's still even grace that we even have that gift of faith. It's a gift. It's a grace given to us. A lot of people, they want to take away from the sacraments or anything that you have to do something because they think it's taking away from what Christ has done for us. But we just saw that it's the sacraments that Christ gave us so that we can know that we are saved. Some people just want to say the sinner's prayer, once saved, always saved. And that's, uh, it's popular, but it's not, it's not entirely in the Protestant world. But some people say, just sit right here and say the sinner's prayer to receive Jesus into your heart and you're good to go. Well, that is a work in of itself because you'd had to do something, but it's God's grace. And God's grace is so great that he's given us the sacraments, he's given us the gift of faith, that he's given us to participate, continuing to participate in his very nature. So it is something that we decide to do, but it's still grace operating in our lives. It's us cooperating with grace. It's cooperating with God. Think about our very identity. What Christ is in his nature, we are by grace. Think of Mary, the saints, and us. Our, all of our identity as human beings in Christ Jesus, in his nature, we are by grace. He is the one lamb. He is the one who suffered for the salvation of the world, who gives, uh, whose death gave, gives life. He is priest, prophet, king. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is the light of the world, the interceder and mediator. He is the temple of God. He is the one son of Mary. He is the one son of God. He is all those things in his nature, but we are by grace, lamb. We're the ones that we get to suffer in union with Christ for the salvation of the world. Our death can give life. We are, we are anointed priest, prophet, king. We are adopted children. We are a seat at the right hand of God. We are the light of the world. We are interceder and mediator. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the son. We are children of Mary. We are children of God. What Christ is by nature, we are by grace. It's our identity that transforms everything. Think of Mary, her immaculate conception, her perpetual virginity, her title as mother of God, her, her giving birth to her divine son her becoming mother of all Christians, her assumption into heaven, body and soul, her coronation in heaven, queen, heaven and earth, her being the new Eve, the ark of the new covenant, her being the queen mother, the new Rachel, the new Esther. Did Mary make those things, those titles for herself? No, absolutely not. She couldn't have at all. It is all the grace and gift of God uh, that was, that made her all of those things. But she responded yes to all of it. She, she was willing to cooperate with the grace that was already there and moving in her life and continuing to be, to, to be offered. And she was all those things because of the, the, the grace of God. It's because of Christ that she is any of those things. What Christ is in nature, she is by grace. So all those things, they don't empty the cross of Christ. It's precisely because the cross of Christ that we are empowered to do these things, to be these things. And after that initial justification, when we become fully in our identity from the sacraments, from repenting, from the gift of faith, uh, we are transformed. Our life is transformed into his image. <clears throat> Christ calls us to love, to die to self, to carry our cross, to serve the poor, to go out and heal, to live the Beatitudes. Well, how do we live this way? 
God's grace, his gift, his, his presence is everything, abiding in the presence of God. In uh, the Gospel of John, there's these times where it talks about abiding, abiding in the presence of God, because that is the only thing that we can do anything, because it's God working through us. And you, when you look for the word abiding, this is where it is. John six fifty six, where Jesus on the Eucharist, you will abide in me and I, when you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you abide in me and I abide in you. Confession in 2023 and anointing of the six in James five, that's abiding to be restored uh, to newness of life in Christ. The Holy Spirit we abide in John 14, 15 through 17. And we, when we receive that baptism and confirmation, we'll be, be reborn, be a new creation, be born of water and spirit. The sacraments of service, holy orders and marriage, grace for service and mission, the, the, the presence of God in our lives, to abide in the presence of God for, for that life of service. And then we abide in the presence in, in his word and scripture and the lives of the saints and, and tradition. Uh, his word, John eight thirty one to, and then ultimately all that, the presence of God, it continues to bear fruit by love. It's his love that's in us that transforms us to love to bear fruit in John 15, 7 through 10. And how do we do all this? Abiding. And we think about the Holy Spirit, abiding in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift. In uh, Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's a good father. John 3.34, it says, God does not give the Spirit by measure. Those who believe will have the Spirit. John 7, it says, streams of living water because Jesus is glorified. Jesus says that it's better that he ascends into heaven than to stay on earth. Why? Because now we get to receive power from on high in that upper room with the apostles and Mary. And we receive power from on high and we live uh, in that power of the Holy Spirit that we would become other Christ in that full identity, right? And what does the Holy Spirit do? It teaches us how to, he teaches us how to pray. We don't even know how to pray as we are, but it's the spirit that intercedes and moans and groans through us. He intercedes in us. He speaks through us, Jesus says. Uh, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So it is the gift of the Holy Spirit that is the grace in our lives to do these things. Think about the, the virtues of the cardinal virtues of prudence, temperance, justice, fortitude, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, that's all grace. We didn't earn them, but it's God's grace operating in our lives. The fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, charity, goodness, long-suffering, modesty, chastity, those that those are all graces, gifts of the Holy, fruits of the Holy Spirit, uh, gifts from God gifts of the spirit in isaiah 11 through 12 it's the characteristics of the messianic figure of christ and us uh, that have the spirit of the lord wisdom knowledge understanding counsel piety fortitude fear of god we didn't earn it but it's a gift from god all the charisms in first corinthians 12 wisdom knowledge faith healing mighty deeds prophecy discernment of spirits variety of tongues interpretation of tongues administration assistance all gifts of god nothing that we can earn or do on our own it is all gifts of god Think of the angels that when we're temples of the Holy Spirit, a temple is something, and the first temple in Genesis was Bethel, and the angels would ascend and descend. Angels are messengers of God. That's a grace and a gift. So uh, our entire lives as Christians are all graces and all gifts. It's nothing that we do on our own. It is always God's grace operating in us, but we have to make a decision to do it. Um, And continuing on this topic of internal transformation, 
this is an infused grace, not imputed. And the difference is that the Catholic Church teaches that we are infused with God's grace, that we become internally transformed, whereas uh, fundamentalists will say that the Christ's grace is imputed to us, which he covers us, even though we're still crappy. So we are infused with God's grace. It's an internal transformation. The new covenant was prophesied to be an internal transformation. In Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, he says this, God, will, God says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, baptism, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in your statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. It's an internal transformation. In Luke 7.40, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully taught, taught will be like his teacher. Disciple means learner. Who's our teacher? Jesus. Jesus uh, addresses the heart and his entire ministry. He, and what was the heart? It was the center, the deepest part, the core of a human person. It was their soul. He wants to cleanse that. He addresses that uh, to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, to his disciples, to everybody. Why are you thinking these things in your heart, your hardness of heart, all these things? He tells us to clean the inside of the cup, the inside of the temple of our body. He cleanses the temple, right? And that's, uh, he wants to cleanse the temple of our body. He calls us to be perfect, to be pure, to be merciful as our heavenly father is perfect, pure, and merciful. He says to love God with your whole heart. Uh, so these are internal transformations that Jesus is calling us to. Galatians 4.19, St. Paul says that Christ be formed in you. Christ is being formed in us. St. Paul in Romans and Galatians talks about walking by the spirit and not by the flesh. Hebrews 12.23 says, it's the spirits of just men made perfect. The, and he's talking about the worship of the mass. And he's talking about how we're surrounded by the angels and all the saints, the spirits of just men made perfect. He doesn't say spirits of, of men who were you know covered with crap, but no, they were made perfect. God's grace in them actually made them whole, made them perfect, made them fully human in God's image. In Revelation, uh, we see that this, this, the spirits of the righteous and the spotless bride coming down from heaven to receive the bridegroom. It's the spotless bride receiving the bridegroom in, in heaven. 1 John 3, 2, it says, We know that when, we, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And Jesus isn't part good, part bad. No, he's all good. And so we're going to be all good. We're going to be like him. And St. Peter tells us that Christ gave us an example that we should follow in his ways. That So we are to, to be called to be like Christ, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, right? And Jesus gave himself, his entire life was for us to imitate him. And that doesn't mean that we should do exactly what he did by being born in a manger, be by being circumcised on the eighth day, to be baptized at the age of 30 in a river, to be changing water into wine at a wedding. He shows us how to imitate his love. His love is grow, is to grow in us right now, to allow the risen Lord to live through us now. He gave us to imitate him now. What is Christ doing right now? Not what would Jesus do? No, what is Jesus doing? So, and you think about who are the ones that teach imputed grace, that we are covered. 
is typically the ones who are least uh, likely to talk about or to do anything with the Holy Spirit. Those are typically fundamentalists or dispensationalists where they believe that after the first century, there are no more healings, no more things like the apostles had the authority. But after that, it's just done. Um, but we know by history, one, that's not true. And then two, uh, the Holy Spirit is alive. And who outside of the Catholic Church is teaching that is this internal transformation to live a holy life? Charismatic Protestants, such as the uh, Pentecostals or the, you know, like the Bethel churches and stuff like that, the, the ones that are acting and living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is leading them and teaching them directly. And they believe that you have to live a life of holiness, of transformation, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. It's infused grace, right? Another part of that thought of imputed grace, it comes from that they believe that the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus, or he uh, He turned away from Jesus, or that he doesn't, and the Father doesn't see us, but Jesus covers us with his righteousness, and but he, the Father, so the Father can't see us. Those are all Trinitarian heresies. Jesus says in Matthew 14, 23, that those who obey Christ teaching that the father will love them and the father and the son will come and make their home and abide with him. John 10 30, Jesus says, I and the father are one. John 14 31 says, the world must know that I love the father and that I do just as the father has commanded me. That Greek word for commanded can also be translated to enjoin, that it is a unified joining in a mission. They do it together. The father and son are, are one. John 17, Jesus says that they are perfectly one. And further, this is something that just sounds horrible to non-Christians, right? And atheists and Muslims, because it's it's a God that's mad and needs to justify his needs to satisfy his anger, so he took it out on Jesus and not on us. Which is also a Trinitarian heresy because that would be contrary to God's perfect goodness, his justice, and it's a metaphysical impossibility in the very essence of God for God to punish God and God to punish someone perfectly innocent aka Jesus. It was our sins that killed Jesus, and it's God's love that saved us. Audrey Assad, you may have heard her her music. She's a convert from fundamentalism to Catholicism, primarily <clears throat> on this point, because when she was a fundamentalist, she was afraid of God because she thought God hated her and wanted to pour out his wrath on her, but he just didn't because he already did it on Jesus. So she, he, the father is looking at her and sees Jesus and, and takes out on Jesus instead of her. But um, So she was scared of God, and that is horrifying and an absolutely terrible image of God because God is love. And so we're not imputed with Jesus's grace. They, he just covers us, but we're actually infused with his power, his, uh, his spirit, that we would be living a life transformed. And it's not that we're perfect and then God loves us. It's God loves us and then transforms us. You're not going to be transformed so that God loves you. It's God's love that will transform you. And it's God's love continuing in our lives, uh, us cooperating with his grace after that initial justification that will continue to transform our entire being. So that love of God flows to our love of neighbor. You want to love more? Grow in love of God and he will put his love in you. He will, put, he will give you his heart for others. Think of Jesus' parables of those who had talents or money and some used them versus store them away. They were lifeless in the grace that they've been given and then condemned at the end. Jesus wants us to become alive, not being passive or storing up, gathering things, especially grace, but we're receiving power from on high, right? So we have to do something with it. So Jesus says, you have received without pay, give without pay. It's in giving that we receive. More will be given to those uh, who are good stewards. Be filled 
we need to be filled in order to give. To give is to be good stewards and more will be given, Jesus says, right? So for example, teaching and giving away knowledge or giving away other gifts, we grow into those gifts. A teacher who learns, they learn more as they prepare to teach. You've been forgiven, go forgive. If you've been saved, go save. If you've been loved, love. Want more forgiveness, forgive more. Want more love, give it away. Um, and so it's this continuing of uh, growing in love of God and then pouring it out. That's after this, uh, this life of transformation that we continue to walk in Christ's ways, right? Even in the Old Testament, it's a works-based mentality, but the psalmist in Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And th- we say this uh, in the daily um, psalm and the liturgy of hours uh, of the church. And it was true then and it's true now. It's God who is building, right? We do not want to labor in vain. It's not our own works. It's not our own doings. It's God working in us. St. Paul in 1 Timothy 6.11, he says, Pursue righteousness, devotion. What's he saying? Be active. Become fully alive. Start using your gifts. Stop. Don't be uh, lifeless, but be full of life. And uh, St. Paul in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he's talking to a Christian community already, but he's telling them to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. So it's God's grace, but we participate in that grace. And 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 10, St. Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God which is with me. It's the grace of God working in us and through us, but we have to participate. First Peter 4.10, Peter, uh, St. Peter says, As each has received a gift, employ it for one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Be good stewards of God's grace. You have grace, you have gifts, use them. Uh, Philippians 1.6, St. Paul says, God will bring to completion the good work he has begun in us. God's work, but we participate. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We didn't earn this grace that is in us, but it was it was a gift, but we need to walk in that gift. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. St. Thomas Aquinas talks about cooperative grace, the grace that's there once you make a decision and are doing it. But if we decide initially not to do something, well, then that grace isn't going to be given, right? So for, uh, uh, as Jesus says, that those who are faithful and much will be given more, right? So um, because as we continue moving and cooperating with grace, the more grace that's going to be available because now we're walking into, uh, into the works of God himself. And then think about all the old covenant figures, all the heroes of the old covenants. They were incredible. They were heroic, but they would end up falling in their lives. They couldn't. They couldn't uh, sustain, right? So, and some people say that Jesus was obedient, so we don't have to be. But in the new covenant, we're given His Spirit so that we can participate in the kingdom of Christ that is more powerful and sustains our entire life, even more than those heroes of the old covenants. Jesus says that the least in the kingdom of God will be greater than John the Baptist. And he says, John the Baptist is the greatest born among women. So those in the kingdom that we receive the spirit of Christ, that we get to walk in them, that we'd be sustained. It's his grace that's permeating our entire lives, that we would uh, do greater works than he, he says, 
greater works than Jesus because it is him living and working and breathing through us, right? So our entire lives is transformed from beginning to end, cooperating with God's grace. And so each of these graces, it's Christ's work in us. Yeah, in all these things, God himself tells us to do these, right? So Jesus says, you do this, you do that, you, fe you feed the sick, you clothe the naked, you uh, give drink to the thirsty, you heal the sick, you cast out demons, you feed them, uh, the, them bread, you do these things, right? <clears throat> and why does God himself do these if it's his work? Because we choose to cooperate with that grace. Faith it is a decision yet it's a decision to cooperate with grace. Faith expressed in good works and love is a decision, yet it's a decision to cooperate with grace. His grace perfects our nature, doesn't destroy it. His grace is powerful, yet he retains our free will. We aren't robots or pre-programmed. We are loved, gifted with the freedom of free will. That's why Jesus says that those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness because they're guilty of an eternal sin. St. Stephen in uh, Acts 7.51, he says, uh, when he's talking to the religious council, council, he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. What's the resistance of the Holy Spirit or that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that will never have forgiveness? It's the willingness and the willing disobedience and rejection of the grace freely offered to someone that condemns someone. It is a free rejection. It is a willing rejection of grace in their lives that they said no, and they were unrepentant of that. And that's what is an eternal guilt and eternal sin is this unrepentant rejection of grace. So when we get to the end, we will be judged on love. Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the parables of the weeds. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Matthew 16, 27. Jesus says, the son of man is to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay every man for what he has done. Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the faithful and unfaithful servant. And in Matthew 24, 13, he says, he who endures until the end will be saved. Matthew 25, he talks about the parable of the talents and the separating of the goats and the sheep based on what we've done. St. Paul in Romans 2, 6 and Galatians 6, 7 through 9 talks about reaping and sowing and being judged on what we have done. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus, to the churches, he's judging them based on what they're doing, what they've done. And in these parts of scripture where it talks about how at the end we're going to be judged based on what we've done, you cannot isolate that and say, well, then it's working for our salvation. No. What Jesus and the apostles are saying is that we are cooperating with God's work in us, God's grace. It's all God's grace. At the end of our lives, it is, uh, it's all grace that is going to be looked at, but it's going to be, how did you participate? How did you respond to love? Uh, freely receive, freely give. Did you love? Did you extend mercy? Did you forgive? Did you help? Did you uh, walk? Did you accompany? Did you have compassion? Did you love like I loved you, right? To love one another. And so we're going to be based on what we've done, but what we've done is going to be assisted, helped, and uh, defined by grace operating in our lives. And so when we approach that day, when we stand in front of Christ and he judges us based on what we've done, based on how we've loved, based on how we cooperated with his grace in, in our lives, <clears throat> we are going to be either <clears throat> in hell, which is pain without love, complete separation from God, or we are going to go to heaven. But before we go to heaven, maybe we have to make a pit stop in purgatory because for the sins that were already forgiven, maybe we need some cleanup. Maybe we have some attachment and perfect justice needs to be, uh, to be taken, right? So purgatory is pain with love. 
Heaven is love without pain. Purgatory and heaven are all gracious gifts of God. Something obviously we didn't do ourselves or could ever earn. It is all a gift of God from the very beginning of our lives to the very end is all a grace and a gift of God. But what about those people who aren't Christian and have never heard the gospel or uh, just don't know Jesus? Everybody in the world has sufficient grace for salvation. Everybody in the world has sufficient grace for salvation. God grants every single person uh, sufficient grace in order to be saved. And what are they going to be saved by? Jesus. Let's first look at how much God loves the entire world, each person he wants to be saved. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent the son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus says he will go to find the one lost sheep. Why? Because he doesn't just want that one, he wants all 100. He already had the 99. He wants that one more. He wants 100 of he wants all of us in, right? Each person we see is perfectly loved by God. 1 John 2:2. 2, 2. It says Jesus is expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God, and there is one mediator, mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. 2 Peter 3 9. God is forbearing towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All should reach repentance. So God desires every single person. Jesus died for the entire world. Every single person he died for. Why? Because his blood has eternal value because he is God. He didn't just die for some, which is uh, the Calvinist view of that this limited atonement, but it directly contradicts scripture and the love of Christ and the very nature of God becoming flesh. He has eternal value that could uh, redeem this entire world 10 times over for infinity, right? So he could, he could die for everybody and he says it himself and the apostles said it themselves that God desires all men to be saved and that he, Jesus died for not our sins only but for the sins of the entire world. He has sufficient grace. So he wants every single person to be saved. And how are they going to be saved? Only by Jesus. All salvation comes through Christ, the head and his body, the church. Because as Jesus said in John fourteen six, no one goes to the Father except through him. In Acts 4.12, salvation exists in no one else, for this is no, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Every single person who will be saved is going to be saved by Christ. And this is, and even if they don't know the gospel or know Christ, uh, if they are saved, if they're going to get to heaven, it's because of Christ. And same goes to non-Catholic Christians that don't have the fullness of Christ in his body, the church that he established or don't have the sacramental life or don't have the Eucharist where Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood to have eternal life. But if they don't do that, uh, will they be saved? Well, obviously God is, he desires all men to be saved. His grace is sufficient for everybody to be saved, but who will they be saved from? Christ and through his body. That's why the church always is taught that there is no salvation outside the church because the church is the fullness of him who fills all and is in and all that Ephesians says, right? So because we are the body of Christ, you, you, you're only saved by Christ. So you are saved through the church um, and the head of the church, which is Christ. Uh, and so what about those people who don't know them? So non-Catholic Christians or people who have never heard the gospel at all, don't know Jesus at all. 
And scripture directly talks about this in uh, Romans 1, 19 through 20. What can be known about God is plain to them, talking about the Gentiles, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So he's talking about people who uh, just see creation. They have no excuse to not uh, seek the creator. Romans 2, 14 through 16 says, When Gentiles who have not the law do by nature what the law requires, they they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. He's talking about the mosaic, the uh, law of Moses. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or perhaps excuse them. Hebrews 11.6 says, Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So people who do not know the gospel to no fault of their own have their conscience and is judged by God. And the law, the natural law is written on their hearts and God gives them sufficient grace to be saved. And God is the only one that can judge a human person's heart to see their intentions, to see their love and to judge them, right? And St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13, he even talks about this. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those who are outside. So he's talking about how him as an apostle, him having authority in church in the church of Jesus, he has authority to judge, to call out people, to and because the church has what? The power to bind and to loose, to teach on faith and morals, and to, to excommunicate and to reconcile, to forgive and to not forgive. The church has that authority because it's Christ working through the church. But he's talking about those who are outside. Those who are outside, God judges the outsiders, right? So each person has sufficient grace to be saved in their in, in our lives. But as a as Christians, we have the fullness of that grace. We want to evangelize everybody. So this always brings up the topic of, well, if uh, if people can be saved without knowing Christ explicitly, well, then do we should we even evangelize them, or will they be saved uh, if we don't share it with them? No. We want every single person to fall in love with Jesus because that is the fullness of grace and that is the uh, assurance, that is the confidence that we have of what Christ has done and have a relationship with him that we would be saved, not only in the life to come, but also in this life, that a life would be transformed here and now. And also uh, Pope uh, Paul VI, I believe it was, he was even answering this and he kind of flipped it. I love it. He basically said that each person needs to be evangelized and not only for, for their sake, but also ours, because uh, if we're not going to evangelize them, maybe the question isn't is, are, can they be saved? But is the, que- the question is, can we be saved if we don't evangelize, if we don't share the good news, if we don't share the gospel, if we don't share the love of Jesus, can we be saved? So he flips it right on his head. And I, lo- I love that because that's a great way to think about it. So um, all in all, grace is everything. It's everywhere. God's grace, his gifts, this undeserved help, his undeserved love, his goodness for us is offered and it's lavish and it's rich and he's calling us to participate in his divine life, which is grace itself. And he's calling us to participate in that nature that he alone possesses. So our entire lives are permeated with grace. Are we going to cooperate or, or not be cooperative with it? From the very beginning of life to the very end, especially in the Christian life, it is all grace, but is us directly choosing to participate in that grace. St. Augustine, as he says, God will crown his own gifts at the end of our lives. And then just to end this, uh, this episode on grace, 
I want to end with the prayer called the susipe. Is in Latin, it means the it's the word for receive. The term was popularized by Saint Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus in the 1500s. He incorporated it within his uh, spiritual exercises. However, this prayer actually goes back to the monastic profession and reciting Psalm 119. And this is a beautiful summary of what grace is and how we're supposed to call and do it. Because essentially, in summary, everything we have has been given to us as a gift from God. And it's best to use when it's given back to God to serve his purposes and to be done in, with, and through love. To give it back to the source from which it came, God. So to wrap up this episode on grace, let's pray this prayer together. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all.